sponsor CBT Nuggets is IT training for IT professionals and anyone looking to build IT skills. If you want to make fully operational your networking, cloud, security, automation, or DevOps battle station, visit cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today's topic is moving into management. Is it a good decision? We're going to talk to some folks who have made the transition and done it in a fairly successful way. We've got Josh O'Brien, the VP of Technical Operations for Sauce Labs, and Greg Colburn, Director Engineering Technologist for Dell Technologies. I have interacted with Greg a bunch in the past. Ethan, you, you're a longstanding friend. Oh, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I am friend and uh, and former employee. Josh actually hired me once, and we worked together for, I don't know, a good year and a half, two years uh, at, a, at a company working on some things. And this is an interesting recording, Ned, because it one of the, the – you know the show that we recorded a few weeks back by the time this goes out where um, you and I were talking about some of the mistakes we made as mm-hmm. management – well, that or as managers taking the job and maybe we shouldn't. Well, some of that came out articulated pretty well. Um, but then the points were made of what kind of a person you need to be if you're going to be successful as a manager. And I think in this episode, that resonated for me way more than what not to do. It's easy to know what not to do, but what to do and what kind of personality traits you need to have to be successful as a manager is a pretty different conversation. And that was a good bit of what we chatted about today. Yeah, just being okay with the fact that maybe you aren't going to be a good manager and you don't have to be a manager. That that really resonated with me as well. As well. So enjoy this conversation with Josh O'Brien and Greg Colburn. Josh and Greg, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Why don't we start with a little bit of background here? That seems like it's probably going to be important in a show that's all about your journey into management. So Josh, let's start with you. Without giving me like your entire life story, what did your tech career look like before you moved into this crazy management world? Yeah, sure, Ned. Well, long and short, I want to be a fighter pilot and that didn't work out. So <laughs> building building the internet seemed interesting. So I did that a little bit in college and then bailed out of college and then taught myself network engineering and just kind of worked my way up through the ranks as an IC. Eventually landed in consulting and doing a little bit of management here and there just around projects and stuff as they came up. I think we all do a little bit of that as you get thrown into things. And as I was consulting, I was with a um, client who had had a CTO who had kind of gone rogue and punched his manager and some other things. And I had been working with them for a while. And they said, hey, how how about you become our CTO? And I said, sure. Sounded interesting. I was in my early 30s. And it was kind of a path I had wanted for a while anyways. So did that, helped them launch a new company. I think as Ethan has mentioned in other places and other times, he worked for me during that tumultuous period of my life. <laughs> and it kind of went on from there. Well, I went to Brocade for a while, uh, managed uh, automation team for a year. And now I've been where I'm at at Sauce Labs for five and a half years um, as a senior director and now VP recently. And yeah, that, that's the path, the long and short of it. Wanted to Wanted to blow things up with big jets and then turned into being a, you know, manager of IT people. All right. That's that's quite a journey. And we're definitely going to dig into some of those details. But before we do that, Greg, I'd like to bring you in. What was your technical background before you got into this world of management? 
dumb luck. Um, so I, <laughs> it was one of those things where actually, so I, I've actually got a master's degree in history. Um, my plan was to finish my master's and go into law school. And I distinctly remember I was driving back from a law school interview for admission. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. I'm done. School wow. is, I, I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs in debt. I just, it, it was no longer time to go to school. Uh, luckily it was the mid nineties when tech companies were hiring people with the qualifications of you can fog a mirror. Uh, and so I <laughs> fogged a mirror and got a tech job where they trained me up. And essentially I got into consulting that way. And you know, within a year I was working at a federal facility doing uh, NT uh, architectures and exchange deployments. Got a job at Microsoft, bounced around Microsoft for about 15 years um, in a number of different roles. I spent time in services. I spent time in product management. I spent time internal with Microsoft IT, joined EMC shortly thereafter. We merged with Dell. How I got into management really came about, it was really more of a just opportunity. Uh, it was an opportunistic hire. I was working in tech marketing for the new Azure Stack product. At the time, I was doing a lot of enablement of our pre-sales teams as well as really supporting them uh, on opportunities, but I was one person in a global organization. And they said, you know, we really need a team of people to do what you do. How would you like to build out that team? Uh, and I was like, huh, yeah, I think I'd like to build out that team, um, which is actually <laughs> the time when you and I were talking about uh, <laughs> possibly working together. So yeah, it was uh, it was really more opportunistic than anything else. It was not, management was not something that was kind of on my radar it was just one of those things where, hey, this, that seems like a pretty cool opportunity throughout my career. I've always tried to vary the the experiences I've got, kind of build a complete resume, as it were. So that's why you know, I've been in services. I've been in pre-sales. I've been in you know, support. You name it, I've done it in the IT world. So management was just kind of another one of those things where it was like, oh, hey, that's pretty cool. Let me go do that. Right, yeah. Bouncing around, it really helps you focus and figure out the things you like about the tech industry and the things you aren't willing to do. <laughs> and it, it sounds like management was like an opportunity. Oh, here's a thing that I would like to try to do and see how it fits me. Yeah. Now, one thing that I know I do is I learn from other people, the examples they set. And, you know, that certainly applies to managers in the past who have inspired me or given me good advice. As you moved into a management role, uh, Greg, was there someone or or multiple managers out there that you took lessons from or, you know, that could be a good lesson like, yes, I should do that. That's that's a good idea. That makes a good manager or lessons like, oh, God, that was the worst manager I ever had. I am never doing that thing. I think it's been bits and pieces. Right. I mean, you you kind of take, you know, I tend to not be the micromanager sort at all. Uh, and I think a lot of that is, you know, because of experience that I've had where I've been micromanaged and it just didn't work so well for me. And I know some people are okay in that environment. I'm not. So without naming names, I, I've had managers in the past at places like Microsoft where it was a, you know, minute by minute accounting for what you're doing. And mm. that is not, not my style. Um, I think the, probably the, the biggest influence I had, so I'm going to call him out by name because he's awesome. A guy named Ryan Barker here at Dell, when I was first considering, even thinking about management, this is before I actually had the opportunity to do it. We were working through career paths and things like that because I was reporting to him at the time. And that's when it really dawned on me that management is actually a completely separate career tree. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, like I, I know later on, we're probably going to talk about is, is management a career progression type thing. But to me, it's, 
it is a completely separate discipline. So you've got your individual contributor lines in the technology world, and then you've got your manager lines. And it was really Ryan that helped me understand that, look, you don't have to go be a manager to continue to advance your career. You know, there are all these other options. And I think that was the first time it clicked for me that, oh, so it's not just that the manager gets to be, you know, you, you get to be the next level and now I'm the manager. Uh, that's not the way it works. Uh, and it's really, that that was, you know, probably really important in the way I approach management as well as just my decision to go into management eventually. Gotcha. What about you, Josh? What What lessons have you learned? So I've said this through my entire management career that my... I don't have an MBA. I don't have a lot of other stuff. I've taught myself a lot, but the most I've learned is what not to do. Uh, I hate to just be that blunt, but I've had a lot of horrible, horrible, horrible managers uh, from people who couldn't be sober on the job to people who micromanaged the crap out of me and made jobs fail because of it. I just, that that's not ever how I wanted to manage. That's not how I ever wanted to lead people. And so a lot of my experiences come from what not to do. I'm one of the bigger, more recent and like last six, seven years was a CEO who gave me a book. It was the book, uh, Hard Thing About Hard Things. And it was his attempt to explain to me why our business was going the direction it was. And I read that book and I went, that's profound. And we're going in totally wrong direction. I'm leaving. So I, <laughs> I, I, I've also learned that in management, y- y- your own like strategies can backfire on you. That one backfired horribly. And to this day, we're friends, but he doesn't understand why that book was like the impetus for me to be like, gone, done. As far as good managers, I haven't had many, and this is going to sound like I'm, you know, kissing up or blowing smoke at this point, but one of the best ones I've had is the guy I have right now. Um, And Justin has a deep level of experience, which a lot of my previous bosses haven't. They've been kind of aspirational in their goals. And I think that's not always the best way to lead people. I think you need experience, good and bad. In other words, uh, leading people or moving up the, the chain and having experience with people to get there. Justin has led huge groups, hundreds of people, international groups, stuff like that. And I've never done that. So it's been really good for me to have somebody to finally go, okay, I'm leading 30, 40, 50 people as the team keeps increasing in size and look at Justin and go, what did you do here? And that's <laughs> been helpful. Um, and also from that perspective, I've learned that there are managers who meet you where you are, which I've always tried to do with people. And it's always felt a little weird because I'm a fairly aggressive personality, but Justin's the same and he's met me where I am and we've established a rapport. So it's kind of validated how I've managed my teams. So that's helped me a lot. You said two things there, Josh, you talked about managing groups, leading groups, but then also there's a lot of individual connection that has to happen there as well. So it is both of those things you would say. Yeah, it's huge. The group thing is managing priorities, managing um, conflict in the team, deconflicting people's stuff, um, allowing the team to kind of breathe and be natural in its culture and in how people come in and out of the team. I, I have a very open-handed model. If people decide it's time to move on, I encourage them to, and I want them to go win. But then you get down into the individual piece, and I hate the run a team or a company as a family mantra. I don't think it holds up. But there's not anybody on my teams that I wouldn't jump in a car and drive across the United States and do something for. It's weird. I think when you build the right culture in a team and you build the right structure in a team and you spend a lot of time getting to know each other and knowing their their personal cycles and rhythms and cadences and their family things and their health things, when you really get into that with people, it gives you a different perspective. And just to 
wrap around in my twenties and thirties early. Like when you see people like, Oh, why don't they just fire that guy or that girl or, you know, that person because they're not performing. Well, it gets into this thing as you get to know people. It's like, that's somebody's livelihood. That's somebody's plan to have kids. That's somebody's plan to buy a house. And as soon as I started managing people, something clicked in my head where I'm like, this isn't just about hire and fire. There has to be more to that because these are people and they are the asset, not the application, not the service we offer. The people are really the asset. And if we don't treat them that way, then we're doing it wrong. It's interesting you brought that up because that's that's something that I, I actually just had that conversation with one of my managers this morning, just talking about how when you're looking at somebody who is you know working in your organization and maybe they're struggling with something, what you always have to keep in mind is they're a person and what you're seeing at work is being impacted by all of this stuff going on outside. They're not one-dimensional. They're not a work entity. And, you know, they may, you know, obviously we've got pandemics going on. They may be, you know, greatly impacted by that. They may be greatly impacted by an elderly parent that's sick. They may be impacted by sick kids. You name it. There's all kinds of external stressors going on. And so you've always got to keep that in mind when you're working with your people that, you're only one part of their life, right? And while we're focused on this stuff at work, you got to make sure you're keeping in mind that there's other stuff that you may need to help them deal with, even though it's not your responsibility. Well, Greg, do you, I mean, if if we're talking about leadership here, there is still a time that despite whatever the extenuating circumstances are in someone's life, maybe you do have to let them go because that's what's right for the company. And as a leader in a management role, you have to make that decision. Is that fair? You do. Yeah, that, that's that's perfectly fair, right? So at the end of the day, it is a business. At the end of the day, you do have, uh, you know, results that you have to deliver. I guess my point is, is you, you can't be quick on the trigger with such things, right? You've really got to be thinking it through before you make those moves and, and realizing that there's more to it. Because it, and it may not be as, it may not be as cut and dried as, hey, I got to fire this person. You know, it may be, maybe this isn't the right role for this person, but maybe they still value in the company and we can move them around or things like that, find new opportunities for them, even within your own org. Um, so it's not always just a, a cut and dry, you know, hire fire kind of scenario. You've also got to look at those circumstances when you get to that point, because there's different ways to address it. I, I've done a bunch of different strategies around this. Um, Greg said he doesn't like to micromanage. He doesn't like the minute by minute thing. I hate it. My teams hate it. I, I treat my team as adults and let them go in. But I've been in situations where somebody on the team literally said, I'm the only one doing work in a 15 person team. And, you know, I can't get my stuff done because nobody else does. And I went, okay, well, you're not going to like me, but everybody download Harvest and every 30 minutes start accounting for your time. And I'm going to start digging through Jira and I'm going to kind of be a pain in the ass for the next four weeks. And I was, and the team complained. And most of the team is still here, by the way. Um, this is in the current role. Most of them are still, and they bring it up all the time. Remember that time Josh made us track our time? I'm like, yeah, thanks. Let's let's keep hitting me with that. That led to somebody leaving the organization. But I guess my point is you adapt strategies to get to the right data. And that took an extra four, six, eight weeks to, to narrow it down. So you've got to be, you got to pay attention to what's going on around you and understand, okay, this could be true. If it is, then I failed as a manager and I've got to fix something in the team. Otherwise you collect enough data to go, nope, this, 
it really is a problem with you. It's time to to move on. And that's the that's the thing for me is uh, you know I I want to be the you know the nice person that everybody gets along with, and I struggle if someone doesn't like me. So if you stick me in that management role, I'm going to struggle with that person working under my uh, leadership that is not performing well because I'm non confrontational and so on. So. But that is that's a big part of the job. You need to be able to balance not only whatever's going on with that person in their life that maybe is leading to that underperformance, but also when you can't get them past and get them to the level that they need to be at, you got to be able to let them go. That's that's tough. Yeah, the best managers that I've had have the ability, like like I think you mentioned, Josh, is being able to separate the fact that this is a whole person and. They're going to have stuff that's outside of my realm, and I need to think about what's best for them as a whole human, not just what's best for them in the context of this organization. Also, what's best for the organization, (laughs) and that might not be this individual working here anymore. I told a story in the previous episode where I had a district manager when I was working in retail that basically forced me out of my position. She didn't say it directly, but she made it uncomfortable enough to work there where I realized I should really be somewhere else. Have you had a situation where a manager did something like that where you didn't even realize you needed a change or needed to do something, but the manager saw it and and drilled into that? I got a definitive yes. <laughs> okay, go for it, Greg. I mean, so so not not so for clarification. So not since I've been a manager, so I haven't had my direct say you need to change the way your management style is or anything along those lines. But as an individual contributor, absolutely. I've had managers and I, I, I remember distinctly, it was one of those, it was an odd scenario. It was probably, it was probably the best and the worst review that I had, I've had to date in my entire career um, where I went in and my numbers were outstanding. I, I blew my metrics just completely out of the water, came in, sat down in the office. I was, you know, this review is going to be awesome. I uh, sat down and the first, Things started out exactly as I thought it would. Hey, you really did a great job. Look, the numbers are fantastic. And then there was, but, and it was, but the way you went about your job and the way you worked with your peers and the way you worked with other groups, when your name was brought up in our stack ranking meeting, and at the time the company I worked for did a definitive stack rank with a bell curve, your name was always associated with something negative. And it mm. wasn't your numbers. It was how you were approaching it. You basically just came in and ran roughshod over everybody and everything. <laughs> so while you killed it, you actually made it more difficult for your peers to succeed. And that was kind of like a, whoa. And, you know, the first re- reaction was just, you know, it was denial. It was straight up, look, you gave me a job to do. I did the job. Look at the numbers. The numbers speak for themselves. And, you know, it, it took a couple of days of reflection after that to be like, you know what? They're right. And the way I, and it, it's kind of one of those, it's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. And that's probably, <laughs> that's, that's, but that, that's probably the biggest challenge I've got. Even to this day, I have to sit back and think sometimes before I speak, because it's, it's not necessarily the message that's being delivered. It's how you're going to deliver it. Particularly when you get into that role where you're in a management role, and, you know, we talked about having to let people go or, you know, correct, take corrective action on performance. How you deliver that message is everything because, you know, I can give you empirical data that says you're not doing your job, but that's not enough frequently, right? That's not going to turn somebody around. There has to be some sort of, um, I guess, a uh, way out, way forward 
with the discussion unless you're just mm-hmm. going to come in and say, yeah, you're out. Um, which is just that that's that benefits nobody typically because even even in a scenario where somebody needs to move on, that creates challenges in the business. Now I've got a backfill. Now I've got a gap in my team. Things like that. And anytime someone gets let go, that that's going to have a morale hit on your team. So, uh, so I got a couple of things. I've had the exact same conversation with management that Greg had, which is the job's great. You're kind of eh, like how you deliver, <laughs> how you get there. Like you're. Your work's fine, but maybe you're a problem. I had a hard time with that through a lot of my career because I didn't respect my management. I watched my management doing dumb things. I watched my management doing unethical things. And it took me a long time to get to the point where I did a lot of self-reflection. And I think you have to become super self-aware if you're going to manage people because I also give my teams total openings to be like, you're wrong. And that has been super powerful when the people I manage get to a point they trust me and they're like you're a little out of control on this issue we should rein it in because it's bad for the team because then it forces you to self-reflect so i think yeah i've had that exact same experience as greg ned you said something i think is a little different you said you had a manager that made it uncomfortable for you to the point you left i like when people are direct i like being direct i've had people try to do the thing with me where it's like let's just keep pile on layers until maybe they leave i don't like that I think it's actually even an HR strategy because let's let them leave on their own. Eventually. I don't like that. It's not good for the person. It's not good for the company. It's not good for the team. It's super stressful on the manager because you're trying to get work done. You're trying to kind of, you know, keep the peace while this falls apart. And I I think that's a horrible strategy. So I don't know if that's what you were inferring that your manager did to you then, but it's a bad management strategy if people do it. It was a unique situation where I was doing really well at my job to the point that I was going to be promoted from store manager to like the next thing. But at the same time, she looked at what I could be doing with my life and was like, you should really you like retail is not what you should be doing. And so rather than tell me that, cause she knew I was the kind of person who, if you told me I shouldn't be doing a thing, that's the thing that I would do. She went, Oh, okay, well I'll just move him to a store that's much further away. And now he's going to have this crappy commute. And eventually and some other things happened as well, but eventually I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I should be doing something else. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a it was a weird type of situation. Now both of you have ended up in management, but that is not necessarily the path for everyone. Do you view management as a necessary part of career advancement, or is it completely optional? Uh, what do you think, Greg? I mentioned it earlier. I think it's completely optional. It's a it's a completely separate career tree. Uh, and the, the, the best example I can give is I've got individual contributors working for me that actually make significantly more money than I do. Uh, and it's it's not. So when I was more junior in my career, I always kind of thought, oh, the managers make more money. And that's the direction I want. You know, you know, is that until I had to sit down with Ryan, as I mentioned earlier. But, is you know, that's the direction that your career path should logically take is, you know, you're a really good kick-ass IC. And then when you're really good at it, they'll recognize that you'll be a manager and you'll be really good at that. And up the chain you go. Uh, but we've all seen, you know, plenty of cases of the Peter Principle out there where there are plenty of ICs that have no business being in management. Um, and they could be really, really good at what they do. And the, I've got people that work for me that there's no way I could do their jobs. Uh, and you know, likewise, I've got people that work for me that there's no way that they could do my job. And I know it, and they know it. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of the 
the way you need to approach it. And I think the, the more mature you get in your career, the clearer that becomes. I think a lot of times when you're younger, you know, when I was in my 20s, I had a completely different view of what management is. Um, you know, Josh was mentioning, you know, I was working for managers and they were making stupid stupid decisions and you go in the wrong direction. I've been in the same spot, but at the same time, now that I've been in leadership and now that, you know, you're a manager of ICs and then you become a manager of managers if you take that path. And I'm starting to understand more. I still think some of the decisions were stupid, but <laughs> I, under, I understand that there are a, a lot, there's a lot in play that goes into a lot of those decisions, right? So things that I may have thought as an IC, man, that was a stupid way to go. There may have been reasons for that that I wasn't privy to as an IC. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's it's a completely different set of skills, a different approach to things. Uh, and, you know, I, like I mentioned, I, I was going to be a lawyer, right? I wasn't going to go into IT. That was never my thing. And so, I, and I do have a passion for tech once I'm, you know, once I got into it, it was like, oh, this is really cool. But that was never like my thing. Like, I, I've never been the guy that's got a lab in his garage. Um, you know, I'm not, you know, I don't have, you know, I live, I live in North Carolina. We don't have basements here, but, so, but I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a basement dwelling geek at heart. Um, I love the technology. I love what it can do, but I, I really like the, the business side of it more than I like the core technology side of it. Um, and, you know, so for me, it's a more natural fit actually once moving into leadership. Um, and I also like the people aspect of it. And I'm sure we'll get to that in a little bit, but so for me, it, it, it is not a logical career progression. As a matter of fact, you should be approaching it as two separate things. If you are going to make a jump into management, if you are offered a management position, think long and hard about your own personal attributes. Uh, and is this a fit for me? Uh, because there's a good chance it's not. You know, there, there's, as a matter of fact, if I had to, I would say it's probably 50-50 or less good manager to bad manager ratio. Personally, what I've seen. Greg, I want to go back to the money question, though, because you mentioned, hey, there's some individual contributors on your team that make more money than you. Not some, but, a lot. Okay. <laughs> but I, that's got to be org dependent, though, because a lot of the places I work, the it, only it way is. you were going to make more money is if you got promoted to management. That was what I got stuck yeah, with a few and, times. And I, I think a lot of times it's, it's an interesting one, right? Because and, and, and I say that for a reason or I call that out for a reason. I think a good leader is going to be con comfortable with that scenario, right? I, the, the way I view, and, and I, I wrote a blog on LinkedIn uh, kind of about the whole servant leadership thing, right? I'm here to, to help my team succeed. I'm here to set strategy. I'm here to remove roadblocks for them, right? But by and large, they're the stars, right? I mean, I, I'm, I'm the drummer, right? I'm not the lead singer. I'm not, you know, I, I set the rhythm. They, they're out doing the flashy stuff. They're at the front of the stage. There's benefit that comes with that. And if it's a higher paycheck, so be it. We're all successful. And it, I'm comfortable with that. A lot of folks aren't. And I think that's where some of that comes in, where you have to be promoted into management to make more money. Again, I think that goes to being a good leader, being comfortable with that kind of scenario. But that's just me. And feel free to disagree. You're wrong, but feel free to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you, Greg. You're way more eloquent about it than me. You you say things like being a servant leader and removing blockades, and I say I'm there to eat bullets for my team and stuff like that. I, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, you're just way more. I like your verbiage better than mine. It is very org dependent. And we went through an exercise about two years ago where I am now where we split the path, where we said this is a pure engineering path. This is okay. At this point, they can split and go into management. I will say, I don't think we've been great about that. 
in our org. I think that's a challenge in any org. We're not a startup. We're we're a rapid. We've accelerated out, but we're not Dell. We're not Cisco. We're not you know some big company, and we're still building out structure and framework and how all this looks. And I've been in several cases where I am now in other places where, you know, they're like, well, well, specifically, let's let's go back to where I worked with Ethan. They were like, we want you to move to L.A. And I went, well, one, I have no interest in moving to L.A. It seems like a really bad idea for a lot of reasons. Plus, what you're going to have to pay me, I'd rather pay my people. And they really uh, chafed at some of the pay checks that went out to the, the tech folks at that company because they had never seen stuff like that. They, But I was hiring seniors. And that's also a lot of been the path I've taken in my life. I'm brought into a place when it's on fire and asked to build a team. And I'm good at that. So when you get into the money side, for the first time, a lot of these companies are seeing salaries they haven't seen before as you're building pure senior teams to go solve real problems. As far as is management a necessary path? Absolutely not. I'm 100% with Greg. I no point in even rehashing it. I'm lockstep with him. They are two separate paths and you should be very cautious how you enter into it. Because once you enter into it, it's kind of a one-way gate. It's really hard to go back. You, for a year or two, might keep some of your tech skills and stuff, but that stuff starts rotting. Uh, and several times I've been like, well, maybe I should go back and get cloud certs and stuff like that. And man, that's a, that's a long slog back a couple of years later. So you should be careful and very specific about how you go into it and very self-aware about what your goals are. We pause the episode for a bit of training talk, training with CBT Nuggets. If you're a day two cloud listener, you are, you're listening to it right now, then you're probably the sort of person who likes to keep up your skills as am I. Now, here's the thing about cloud as I've dug into it over the last few years. It's the same as on-prem, but different. The networking is the same, but different due to all these operational constraints you don't expect. And just when you have your favorite way to set up your cloud environment, the cloud provider changes things or offers a new service that makes you rethink what you've already built. So how do you keep up with this? Training. And this is an ad for a training company. So what did you think I was going to say? Obviously training. And not just because sponsor CBT Nuggets wants your business, but also because training is how I've kept up with emerging technology over the decades. I believe in the power of smart instructors telling me all about the new tech so that I can walk into a conference room as a consultant or a project lead and confidently position a technology to business stakeholders and financial decision makers. So you want to be smarter about cloud? CBT Nuggets has a lot of offerings for you from absolute beginner material to courses covering AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud skills. Let's say you want to go narrow on a specific topic. Okay, well, there's a two-hour course on Azure security. Maybe you want to go big, wide. All righty, there's a 42-hour AWS certified SysOps administrator course and lots more cloud training offerings in the CBT Nuggets catalog. I gave you just a couple of examples to whet your appetite. In fact, CBT Nuggets is adding 40 hours of new content every week, and they help you master your studies with available virtual labs and accountability coaching. Interested? Of course you are, so satisfy your curious mind by visiting cbtnuggets.com slash cloud and figure out if CBT Nuggets will work for your training with their seven days free trial. Just go do it. cbtnuggets.com slash cloud for seven days free. That's cbtnuggets.com slash cloud. And now back to the podcast I so rudely interrupted. On that front, the further away from the front lines you are, the quicker the deterioration occurs, right? So, you know, when I was a frontline manager, I was still engaged with some of the technical stuff. Now that I'm a director, 
I don't do technical stuff anymore. I mean, I understand the concepts and I understand the business values, but if you ask me to sit in front of a console right now, man, you would get one <laughs> heck of a result you would not be anticipating. Uh, so it's 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 just one of those. It, 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 I couldn't go back now. Like I, I think about, you know, I've thought about it sometimes. Oh, I could go be an IC. I could be an IC, maybe in a product management role. You put me as a core technologist, forget it. Um, I just, I couldn't do it any longer. It was a wake-up call the day that my team stripped all my Cisco rights out of the current platform. <laughs> They're like, hey, you haven't logged in in six months. We think it's no longer a good idea. And a little, little tear. <laughs> Josh, what was the first management position you you took? And then walk us through like what led up to that position. And uh, did, did you... Did you have training or preparation to get into that first role? All right. Well, let's go reverse on that. I've never had any official management training in other than reading books and failing forward. That's the only <laughs> training I've had. As far as the first role, it was probably actually at a Cisco consultancy. They hired me as the first engineer at the site and then wanted me to build that site out. And I did. We built it out to 50 engineers under me. And then one day they hired another manager. And that was really hard for me. I was not a good culture fit for their management team. And I couldn't see that then. Now I totally see it. And there was no way I was ever going to be a manager director in there or, but I was a great IC and I produced yeah. really well there, but that was probably the first one where I was actually managing people. And I did that for a year and a half before one day guy showed up and said, I'm your new manager. And I went, what? I managed this <laughs> team. So that was weird, but that was the first one. The first official one would have been where you and I work, Ethan. So I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I was learning a lot on the fly there, um, <laughs> but that was in the CTO slash COO role as that company expanded. And, you know, I kind of stumbled into that one. Like I said, I was consulting for those folks. They called one day and said, we want you to do this. And I think my exact answer was to them because I was reading a lot of books about my worth and I was reading a lot of things about how I impacted companies and the value I added. And I looked right at the CEO of this company who I had never met before and I went, you can't afford me. And he went, bet. <laughs> and I gave, I bet, I, and he, uh, I gave him the number and he went, uh, we're going to have to call you back. <laughs> and, and, All right. and they did, and they did, and we negotiated down, but uh, again, they were seeing things they had never seen before. So that's how I got into that. What other, what part of that question did I miss? Is there aspects of that I missed? I kind of just went did, off. Did you, your, your prep for the role wasn't, again, it was books. You had no formal training. You weren't None. mentored either. Nope. I, the closest mentoring I had in that is I, I saw the owner of that company and the CEO of that company throw cell phones at people. And I went, yeah, we're not going to do that. And I'm going to push back hard against that type of behavior. And quite honestly, that behavior was still going on when I was there, but we didn't tolerate it on my side. And I'm not going to lie. I threw a phone one time there and it <laughs> not at somebody, but out of pure anger. And that is not a good look for the guy running your team regardless of how big or how small that team is. And that was a big wake up call to me that I was in a bad place doing bad things and needed to really adjust my own mental health. It's like, I think that's not long before I went hiking in the white mountains with Ethan. Uh, so, <laughs> but I, I, I'm by no means an expert at this. Like I said, I have, I've failed forward in this and I continue to fail forward in this a lot. And I just try to be super self-aware. And when I do find gaps, I go read a book or I'll go talk to people. I, I've got a lot more, opportunity now in these roles. And just based on the career I've had, a lot of the people I know in this industry have come up and they're either senior ICs. I've got Ethan who I'll call and 
freak out to occasionally. And I've got a bunch of those people. And I didn't have that in my 20s and 30s. I felt very, it felt very lonely and isolating back then and probably led to some of the bad things. But yeah, that's the only experience I've had is failing forward. I wish I would have had more. I'd like to call out that starting your management career with a C-level title is not the norm. So that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's an impressive feat. It's a little bit terrifying. I'm not, like I said, I, it was, it was not always a good look. Greg. So what about you? I think you said this is your technically your first management position. So did, did you get some training or mentorship leading up to this or? Well, this is an extension. So this is an extension of my first management experience, right? So I, I, I own so much more now than I did when I first started. So the first team um, that I built out and I built it from scratch was about four years ago. Now, management training. So does Dell have a management training program? Absolutely. Dell does. Does it really equip you? And this is not a Dell thing. I think this is industry-wide. Does it really equip you with what you need to know to be a manager? Absolutely not. Uh, so I think it's, it's, it's definitely, you know, your first year, at least my first year was very much trial and error. Uh, it was, you know, I, we talked about it earlier, kind of borrowing from things that I've seen, you know, successful managers do, avoiding things that I've seen managers that weren't so successful, in my opinion, do. Uh, there was a lot of that, right? And, you know, I, I, I had mentors and no formal mentorship, but I absolutely have people that have been in leadership that I go to frequently um, for advice on things. Even to this day, I've got folks both internal to Dell and external to Dell, that if I've got questions about a particular direction that I'm thinking about taking a team or something like that, I'll bounce it off of them. Um, I'm, I'm very, very open. I think Josh talked about it earlier. I'm very open and, and cognizant of the fact that I am a human being and I make mistakes. Uh, and I'm more than willing to own up to those mistakes. And if one of my team calls me on it or you know, one of my mentors or my peers says, hey, you might want to think about a different direction, very open to that feedback. And I think that was, it was more on the job training, right? It was, you know, and, and I, and I benefited, I'm going to brag a little bit from hiring out a completely awesome first team, um, which made my life a lot easier. If you come into a scenario where you're taking over an existing team, that's a different story than when you get to build the team from scratch. I mean, literally the first team that I had, I handpicked every single person on that team. So if they say, you know, if it was a good pick, it was mine. If it was a bad pick, it was mine, but it was mine, right? I didn't, I didn't have to come in and deal with, yeah, that guy's a performance problem. And, you know, this girl over here, she's your rock star, but she's probably going to leave. You got to figure out how to retain her. Those kinds of, none of that came into play for my first role, which I think was easy, you know, building your own team like that. Well, it's got challenges because recruiting is a completely different story. At the same time, um, it's kind of a training wheels role, right? Because I, I got to set, I mean, I even got to set the, what are your KPIs and what's your team actually going to do? I mean, all of that was open to me. And so I took full advantage of it, um, you know, and then I was able to, so good at it. They said, we'll build another one. So I built the second team out. Um, and then they, then was my, like literally about a year and a half ago was the first time I ever took over a group of employees that were not my hires. Um, so, and, you know, luckily there was a rockstar team as well. So we're, 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 we're cool there. So I haven't had to deal with a lot of the performance management type issues, um, you know, here and there, but no, nothing like so draconian of like having to go out and like, yeah, you're fired. And, you know, there's, there's, there've been no, there've been no plane trips to places to get people's laptops, right? Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So I, I've been lucky on that front. 
curious because you said the Dell training or really any training you feel probably couldn't have prepared you for the managerial role. Is there something you think could have prepared you a book or, or some sort of more formal training, or is it just like, you gotta live it, man. <laughs> I, I think you, you, you kind of, I mean, I got, I got the thousand yard stare, right? I mean, it's, you, you just kind of, you, you, you gotta, can, can I use profanity? You kind of got to be in the shit, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> if you, if you, if you're not in it, I couldn't have explained it. Like I couldn't have explained it coming in any more so than I can explain it now. Uh, there's, there are so many variables and I, I, and I work for Dell. So Dell training is awesome. Fantastic. Best <laughs> training in the world. Um, but, but the point, the point is that I don't think it, it can't possibly come up with all of the different variables that are going to get thrown at you in a management role. There's just, it, there's no way you could come up with a cumulative, this is the management training. And if you take this and do everything it says, you're going to be successful. It, it, it's just not possible. Most of the training that I've been to, even like at Microsoft, when I was there, they had a, you know, so you want to be a manager training, right? So you could go take this training and they would run you through a, this is the day in the life of kind of scenario. And it, it was great, but as it turns out, it's not very accurate Then in a vacuum. Yeah, that would be the day in the life of, but nothing occurs in a vacuum, right? And so what you find is the trainings are focused on, these are your HR tasks. And this is how you approve expense reports. And this is how, you know, you onboard somebody and this is how you offboard somebody, but it's not really focused on the actual, this is how you manage somebody. This is how you can be effective. And it also doesn't cover the fact that the way I manage employee A, I may not be able to manage employee B in the same fashion. And so <laughs> there's so many variables. It just, it's, you've got to learn on the job. I want to give a tech correlation of this. We've all known paper certs, super smart super good at training, super good at taking tests. They're not dumb people. You have- yeah, That's me. You, you, you mentioned a, previous life. <laughs> <laughs> you have a data center melting down at 3 a.m. and you get woken up out of bed and you give somebody with a paper cert that environment who's never been there before, they might have all the technical knowledge in the world and know what buttons to push and they're probably not going to do well. I self-trained, came up through it. I'm not a good network engineer. Ask Ethan. I am not a good network <laughs> engineer. I'm a good troubleshooter. So I'm really good mm -hmm. about wrapping duct tape around things at 3 a.m. on no sleep and drinking a lot of coffee and then hiring people like Ethan or my current team to then go clean that up. Same thing with management. I think you can get all the training in the world, but it doesn't really prep you for that. One thing I think people should do, companies should do more if they're going to bring people into management. And I don't care what tier, CEO down. If you're managing people, they should have an external peer that the company helps provide them or make sure that they get, if you don't have your own external peer that you're, you're mentoring with, because mentoring is also not just a, an up and down thing. It's, it's a bi-directional thing where you're helping each other. And if it's not, that's a problem too. But companies aren't good at that. And even coming into this role, I told my manager the other day, if I'm coming into this VP role with, you know, a whole bunch of other VPs and stuff, I'm going to go get a, you know, an external mentor. I think I need some external stuff and I'm working on getting that right now. But I think companies should do that. So you have somebody who is outside of your chain, who's outside of your KPIs, who's outside of your financial lines, who doesn't have the same risk reward tied to it. I don't think companies are good at that. But if there is one thing I think would help new managers, it'd be that. You said external, and I think that's an interesting thing to call out. Why would you focus on an external peer as opposed to someone else within the company who's in a similar role? Politics and stupidity. <laughs> like, that's all there is to it. Com companies are people. People 
find themselves in tribes. And the bigger an organization gets, the more tribes there are. And people have very different goals and outcomes. Even if the vertical top-down goal is make money on product X, there's all these other paths to get there. And it's natural. Like it's the way that we innovate. It's the way that we we grow. Like if there's no resistance, it's like bone, right? You astronauts' bones get weak in space because you're not putting weight on them. If you're not working things and tearing muscles and you know getting microfractures, you don't get stronger. It's the same thing in a business. And people are super uncomfortable with that. So then if you have to go and be like, man, I screwed up my team today. And you have to do that with somebody who you're politically misaligned with. And it's not even bad misalignment. It's just natural, healthy misalignment inside, inside of a company where decisions get made. You're putting yourself at in a kind of a weird disadvantage. And not everybody sees these natural flows inside of a business as something that is natural and healthy and good. Sometimes they see it as opportunity and they'll use it against you. And then you're in that meeting and you're like, well, but you, you pissed off your whole team. Why should we trust you on that issue? So I think there's a huge advantage to that being external. And again, I've got a lot more peers now, but I also can't call Ethan every night and cry. Like I, <laughs> not I every night, not every, well, night. not every night. I mean, every <laughs> Wednesday, but, but no, I just, I think there's a super, there's a lot of value in that. And also a lot of people in your orgs at your level are at the same level as you. They're aspirational, like right. and aspirational can be good and bad. Aspirational can be good in the fact that I want to win. I'm driving to this. Aspirational can also be, well, I can do this job and you're totally unqualified and you're failing at it. So when you can go external to people who have been there, done that, seen that, see it from a different angle than you, don't have skin in that game, they can give you totally different perspective than people in your own business. Yeah, I think that's actually, so the scenario he just threw out there, when we talked about does training cover things, I think the thing that I was most unprepared for moving into management, and again, moving up in management even more so, the higher you go, is the politicking. It's something that, I mean, seriously, it's it's something that you, you know, I never really thought of too much when I was in IC. I mean, yeah, there was some, but it was all, you know, who's going to go be a manager, right? It, it was It was more of that, right? It's... But the higher up you go, there's there's so many different layers of politicking, right? Because there's people that have individual aspirations, and then you've got group aspirations. And, and in particular, the larger the organization, you, you would like to think that you know at, at at a large company that all of the business groups are in alignment, and you know how they push their products will just naturally line up into these silos, and everybody will get along well. And that's not the case. Um, there's always wrangling for budget. There's always wrangling for attention, you know, from the marketing folks and things like that. And it's all of that is stuff that I was completely oblivious of until I got into the role. And, you know, the, the train, the training certainly didn't say, and oh, by the way, um, now we're going to take an hour and a half and we're going to cover organizational politics. Um, there, 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 was no, there was none of that. So, so, it, and, and that, that's kind of, kind of gets back to the question you were asking is there's not, I can teach you how to use tools to manage people from a process perspective uh, when it comes to the really doing the job now, because you just can't prepare somebody. And, and every organization is different, right? So like Ned, I know you do a lot of work for Pluralsight. Pluralsight can't possibly cover all the different companies out there that have all the different politics if they were to try to put together a management course on this, because every company is different. Well, that's what I always said. Once you get specific enough, you're not teaching anymore. You're consulting. And you should get paid commensurately more. <laughs> I like that. 
Maybe I should consult I, more. I support Ned getting paid for his blogs. <laughs> <laughs> Let's say you have a leadership position on your team to fill. Maybe that's a management position. Maybe it's a just leadership broadly for some definition of that. What do you look for in the people you manage to try to see if there's someone in that team that would fill that leadership role? I just filled one. I can comment a bit. I, 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 lo- I look for folks that bring a perspective to it that I may not have. I mean, now, now, now I'm not looking for someone who, like, if, if I see someone and like that person, there's always the one that calls out all of the, the faults with what we're doing, but never has solutions. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, if you've got somebody that brings a different point of view, um, maybe has a different level of empathy for their teammates, maybe, and, and I'm assuming we're talking internal to my team for folks that I'm looking at, you know, the, the way I went about it, we, we just hired a, a really spectacular lady to lead one of the new teams that we're building out. And what she brought to the table was complete, completely unique uh, amongst her peers. Uh, she was always, she was, she was never self-promoting. She was never out there, um, you know, trying to, you know, we talk about the, the self-advancement, her, what she got job satisfaction out of was helping her peers succeed. And when I saw that she didn't come to me about the management role, I went to her. I was like, look, I'm seeing these qualities in you. We've got this management role. I'm very, very interested in you taking this management role. And, and it was very specific to things that I saw her doing that in my experience would lead to successful management. Um, you know, and obviously at, at any organization, typically you're going to have an open rack. And I had people come to me that were high level ICs and they were like, Hey, I want this role. And I'm like, okay, but are you sure this is the role you want? And why are, <laughs> why are, why are you a fit? Right. Because, you know, it, and again, they were, they were, I would be not in all cases, but, if I know somebody, for instance, is a super, super passionate technologist and they just love the tech and they love, I'm going to try to talk them out of taking a management role. We talked about it a, a, a bit ago. The minute you move into management, that starts to deteriorate. And not that you can't maintain a technical focus. Um, I, I, my boss is extremely technical, but I think there's a rarity in that, right? I mean, when you've got a VP level um, that is you know, in an organization like Dell and they are super, super technical, Man, that that is a you know canary or a diamond in the rough or what I don't know what it is. It's but it's an oddity, right? It's a needle in a haystack. You don't find that very often because that takes a lot of effort outside of work, right? Because my days are filled with stuff that are not tech. You know, and when I get off of work, I want to go watch my kids play baseball and I want to go out and have dinner with my wife and all these things. I don't want to sit in front of a console and learn. And that's what you would have to do. One of the things you said, Greg, that really stuck out to me was empathy for teammates. That was something that you looked into, yeah. look, looked at, and that stuck sticks out to you. What does that mean? Why is that so important? Well, I kind of got to it when I was talking earlier about the, this kind of the servant leadership mentality, right? You've you've got to be willing to sometimes you know sacrifice. I wouldn't say sacrifice your own success because, but you've got to be willing to put yourself in your employee's shoes, got to be willing to promote them. Like, so for instance, if, if I've got, uh, you know, employees that are doing awesome work and I'm asked to do a roll up to my leadership on some of the stuff we're doing, I will 100% always give the employee the opportunity to come and present that stuff to the senior leadership. I could do it, but that's not my place there. They did the work. Mm-hmm. And, and so when I, when I think about it, when I'm looking for someone to be a manager on one of my teams, 
it's that same mentality, right? So if you've got somebody, hey, I just organized this awesome, you know, enablement, and we went out and touched a thousand people and look at the results. I organized it, but all these people deliver it. You know, this person would 100% completely deflect anything she did, which was awesome, to give credit to the folks that were actually doing the deliveries and things like that. That's what I mean, you know, that and, you know, she would come to me and she's like, I noticed so-and-so was having some problems. We mentioned, you know, none of this is one dimensional. So-and-so was having some problems and I was noticing they were stressed out. I reached out, hey, I found out this is what was going on in their home life. And these are some things, that stuff that well, well beyond what her job responsibilities are. Um, but she was taking it on herself when she saw teammates that were struggling with things to go talk to them. And that's the kind of stuff, I mean, you, you can't train that. Either you do it or you don't do it. Uh, I think I think some of it maybe comes with maturity too, because twenty seven year old me didn't get that at yeah. all. Empathy yeah. Oh, yeah, for teammates, either. no, you know. Now, yeah, I completely get it. Now, you work with uh, enough people, if you have any sense of humanity about you, it it comes more naturally. Just the older you get, but as a young yeah. young one, nah. I, really I mean, I, I sat I sat in on the review that said your results were great, but you're a sucky person, um, <laughs> and and that's you know. So it's yeah, I get it, and, and it does come with maturity, but that was. That was one of those things where, you know, it was it was so clear that she was management material that I didn't even consider going anywhere else. I mean, I talked to other people um, because, you know, you do 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 due diligence. But when I'm looking for stuff, that's that's what I'm looking for. I, you know, if you're good at tech, great, you're good at tech. I have a lot of people here at Dell good at tech, but show, show me what it is that would make you good at management. There's an interesting thing about life cycle of organizations, too, and who makes who you need leading teams and managing teams. I think all the core things exist already. What Greg said is hundred percent accurate, but who you're looking to bring as a manager to an environment that's on fire and full chaos mode and needs a team built. You need somebody who builds teams, likes building teams. I'm good at that. I'm also probably not the guy you want running something once you're in management and full ops mode, because I'm pretty chaotic. Like you give me a problem and say, go solve it. I'm going to crack a planet to solve that problem. Mm. And when I started hiring the current team, I am, I hired somebody very early on almost five years ago now, right after I started who I knew if I got hit by a bus fired, that was always a real possibility of my career, uh, <laughs> but could take up and pick up and go where I was. And here we are five years later and the organization gave me a new opportunity to go solve a new problem. That person came into my role and that person is very calm very empathetic from the get-go, well-known by the team, probably not the person who would have even wanted to come deal with the chaos that I took on six years ago, but is the perfect person now to bring a new perspective to the team I built starting five years ago, because that team's entering a new phase in the life cycle and keeping that team healthy and growing and the culture safe probably doesn't need my chaos right now. I've heard of the concept of the wartime versus the peacetime CEO. And this is almost sounds like an extension of the wartime versus peacetime manager role. So that, Oh, I'm definitely a wartime manager. <laughs> <laughs> so you can be my wartime uh, consigliere. Okay. Good to know. Thanks. Josh. <laughs> right. Well, I think we are running out of time, but this has been a, a fantastic conversation. Before I get to the outro, I wanted to give each of you an opportunity to just have some closing thoughts on the conversation and management at large. Greg, why don't we start with you? I guess the, the refraining thing for me is management isn't necessarily your logical path as an IC. You can advance without it. Management is not for everybody. And matter of fact, the quickest way 
to shorten your career somewhere is to go into management when you aren't fit for a management role. And in fitness, I don't want to say fitness, it, it sounds harsh, but it's, it's the reality of it. Not everybody is suited to leading teams, um, whether it's a small team or whether it's a large team. And to be frank, everybody that leads a small team successfully isn't necessarily suited to lead more at a strategic level, the director level, and on up the chain. So just be very cognizant of that as you're looking at how your career progresses. And if technology is your thing, since we're on a technology podcast, and that's that's what really drives you in the morning when you get up, it's like, cool, I get to go work with you know Azure or AWS or you know VxRail or whatever your technology of, of, of choice is. If those are the things that drive you, do that. Right, that's going to make your job a much happier place for you than if you go into something because you think that's what you need to do to be successful. So that that's really what I would leave it with is just you know make sure you realize that they are separate career paths with separate skill sets that are required to do them. And as long as you're you're following by that, you're probably in a pretty good place. Great, Josh. Yeah. So if you're gonna, if you're thinking about making the change, definitely engage with the people who currently manage you bring that up with them. I've had a couple people bring this up with me and it leads to a lot of the outcomes that Greg's talked about. Like you're, you're wanting the next thing, but the next thing you think is management, but it, that doesn't have to be all there it is. If you're chasing money, there's other paths to getting money than going to management. So talk sales, to people. Sales, 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 sales. Yeah. If you want money, you start there in your career, but talk to the people managing you because they're already going to have a perspective, especially if there's a trust and a good relationship there. And even if there's not, and you're looking at external, you'll probably get some insight. Step two, take the time to get mentally healthy and self-aware before you make the decision. Because if you go in burned out, run down, no sleep, not in a good mental health point yourself, you're never going to be able to get to the point where you're looking out for others on your team. And really as a manager, that's your job. You're eating bullets, moving things out of the way. Your job isn't there to elevate yourself. It's there to elevate your team and to elevate the organization. You're there to drive outcomes and wins through using other people's intelligence and capabilities. So you've got to be in that place. And then I guess the final thing I would do is say, reach out. Like if, if you're looking at this, reach outside of your, or reach out to your peers, reach out to, to people who may not even know you and have this conversation and talk about why you want to do it or why you, you would want to do it or not want to do it. But yeah, get a very good self-aware picture of yourself before you make that jump. Cause again, it's, it's not a one-way portal, but it's a hard portal to come back through. Right, right. It makes absolute sense. Uh, Josh, if folks want to hear more from you, uh, where can they find you on this wonderful internet? Yeah, easiest way these days is just on Twitter. I'm Josh O'Brien 77. Easy to find me there. I've got a I've got a blog, staticnat.com, but I haven't done a lot there for years. And I keep every year I'll probably post one thing, but that's not the primary place to find me. But Twitter is a good place. Please reach out. <laughs> uh, Greg, I did find that LinkedIn post that you were talking about, and we'll include that in the show notes. But is there anywhere else you want to point folks? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at it's at GDC in CLT. So I'm in Charlotte for those of you who want to come stalk me later on. Um, <laughs> but it's it's at GDC in CLT. Most of my tweeting is about sports and things like that these days. I do some tech stuff, but um, I'm I'm trying to trying to break free of a, of the Twitter habit. <laughs> it's a tough one. Kind of dragging on me. So, <laughs> all right, well, gentlemen, thank you so much for appearing on Day Two Cloud. And hey, listeners out there. 
virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow or fill out the form on my fancy and brand new website, nedinthecloud.com. Did you know that you don't have to scream into the technology void alone? The Packet Pushers Podcast Network has a free Slack group open to everyone. Visit packetpushers.net slash Slack and join. It's a marketing-free zone for engineers to chat, compare notes, tell war stories, and solve problems together. Packetpushers.net slash Slack. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.